Chapter One of Wolf the Saxon by George Alfred Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A quarrel. The great abbey at Westminster was approaching its completion. An army of masons and labourers swarmed like bees upon it and around it. And although differing widely in its massive architecture, with round Saxon windows and arches, from the edifice that was two or three generations later to be reared in its place, to serve as a still more fitting tomb for the ashes of its pious founder, it was a stately abbey, rivalling the most famous of the English fanes of the period. From his palace hard by, King Edward had watched with the deepest interest in the erection of the minster that was the dearest object of his life. The king was surrounded by Normans, the people among whom he had lived until called from his retirement to ascend the throne of England, and whom he loved far better than those over whom he reigned. He himself still lived almost the life of a recluse. He was sincerely anxious for the good of his people, but took small pains to ensure it, his life being largely passed in religious devotions and in watching over the rise of the abbey he had founded. A town had risen around Minster and Palace, and here the workmen employed found their lodgings, while craftsmen of all descriptions administered to the wants of both of those and the nobles of Edward's court. From one of the side doors of the palace a page, some fifteen or sixteen years of age, ran down the steps in haste. He was evidently a Saxon by his fair hair and fresh complexion and any observer of the time would have seen that he must therefore be in the employment of Earl Harold the great minister, who had for many years virtually ruled England in the name of its king. The young page was strongly and sturdily built. His garb was an English one, but with some admixture of Norman fashions. He wore tightly fitting leg coverings, a garment somewhat resembling a blouse of blue cloth, girded in by a belt at the waist, and falling in folds to the knee. Over his shoulders hung a short mantle of orange colour with a hood. On his head was a cap with a wide brim that was turned up closely behind, and projected in a pointed shovel shape in front. In his belt was a small dagger. He wore shoes of light yellow leather, fastened by bands over the insteps. As he ran down the steps of the palace he came into sharp contact with another page, who had just turned the corner of the street. "'I crave your pardon, Walter Fitzurse,' he said hurriedly, "'but I was in haste and saw you not.' The other lad was as clearly a Norman as the speaker was a Saxon. He was perhaps a year the senior in point of age, and taller by half a head, but was of slighter build. The expression of his face differed as widely from that of the Saxon as did his swarthy complexion and dark hair for while the latter face wore a frank and pleasant expression, that of the Norman was haughty and arrogant. "'You did it on purpose,' he said angrily, "'and were we not under the shadow of the palace I would chastise you as you deserve.' The smile died suddenly out from the Saxon's face. "'Chastise me?' he repeated. "'You would find it somewhat difficult, Master Fitzurse. Do you think you're talking to a Norman serf? You will please to remember you are in England.' But if you are not satisfied with my apology, I will ride with you a few miles into the country, and we will then try with equal arms where the chastisement is to fall. The Norman put his hand to his dagger. 
but there was an ominous growl for some men who had paused to listen to the quarrel you're an insolent boar wolf of staining and some day i will punish you as you deserve some day the saxon laughed we shall i hope see you all in your tribe sent across the channel there are few of us here who would not see your backs with pleasure what is this an imperious voice demanded and turning round wulf saw william the norman bishop of london who followed by several monks and pages had pushed his way through the crowd walter fitz erse what means this altercation the saxon ran against me of set purpose my lord walter fitz erse said in tones of deep humility and because i complained he challenged me to ride with him into the country to fight and then he said he hoped that some day all normans would be sent across the channel is this so the prelate said sternly to wulf did you thus insult not only my page but all of us his countrymen i ran against him by accident wulf said looking up fearlessly in the prelate's face i apologize though i know not that i was more in fault than he but instead of taking my apology as one of gentle blood should do he spoke like a churl and threatened me with chastisement and then did i say that i hoped he and all other normans in the land would some day be packed across the channel your ears ought to be slit as an insolent varlet i meant no insolence my lord bishop and as to the slitting of my ears i fancy earl harold my master would have something to say on that score the prelate was about to reply but glancing at the angry faces of the growing crowd he said coldly i shall lay the matter before him come walter enough of this you are also somewhat to blame for not having received more courteously the apologies of this saucy page the crowd fell back with angry mutterings as he turned and followed by walter fitz erse and the ecclesiastics he made his way along the street to the principal entrance of the palace without waiting to watch his departure wulf the saxon page pushed his way through the crowd and went off at full speed to carry the message with which he had been charged our king is a good king a squarely built man whose bare arms with the knotted muscles showing through the skin and hands begrimed with charcoal indicated that he was a smith remarked to a gossip as the little crowd broke up but it is a grievous pity that he was brought up a norman still more that he was not left in peace to pass his life as a monk as he desired he fills the land with his normans as soon as an english bishop dies straight away a norman is clapped into his place all the offices at court are filled with them and it is seldom a word of honest english is spoken in the palace the norman castles are rising over the land and his favourites divide among them the territory of every english earl or thane who incurs the king's displeasure were it not for earl harold one might as well be under norman sway altogether nay nay neighbour ulred matters are not so bad as that i dare say they would have been as you say had it not been for earl godwin and his sons but it was a great check that godwin gave them when he returned after his banishment and the norman bishops and nobles hurried across the sea in a panic for years now the king has left all matters in the hands of harold and is well content if only he can fast and pray like any monk and give all his thoughts and treasure to the building of yonder abbey we want neither a monk nor a norman over us the smith said roughly still less one who is both norman and monk i would rather have a dane like canute who was a strong man and a firm one than this king 
who i doubt not is full of good intentions and is a holy and pious monarch but who is not strong enough for a ruler he leaves it to another to preserve england in peace to keep in order the great earls of mercia and the north to hold the land against harold of norway swain and others and above all to watch the normans across the water a monk is well enough in a convent but truly tis bad for a country to have a monk as its king there have been some war-loving prelates ulred men as ambitious as any of the great earls and more dangerous because they have learning ay there have been great prelates the smith agreed look at lifing of worcester to whom next only to godwin the king owed his throne he was an englishman first and a bishop afterwards and it was proof if needed that a man can be a great churchman and a great patriot and statesman too it was he rather than godwin who overcame the opposition of the danish party and got the witten at last to acquiesce in the choice of london or wessex and to give their vote to edward well was it he did so for had he failed we should have had a greater struggle in england as when alfred battled against the danes we of london and the men of wessex under the great earl were bent upon being ruled by a prince of our own blood the last two danish kings had shown us that anything is better than being governed by the northmen it was lifing who persuaded the earl of mercia to side with wessex rather than with northumbria but since lifing what great englishmen have we had in the church every bishopric was granted by edward to norman priests until godwin and his sons got the upper hand after their exile since then most of them have been given to germans it would seem that the king is so set against englishmen that only by bringing in foreigners can harold prevent all preferment going to normans but what is the consequence they say now that our church is governed from rome whereas before edward's time we englishmen did not think of taking our orders from italy there will be trouble come of it all neighbour perhaps not so long as edward reigns but at his death there is but one of the royal race surviving and he like edward has lived all his life abroad there can be no doubt what the choice of englishmen will be harold has been our real ruler for years he is wise and politic as well as brave and a great general he is our own earl and will assuredly be chosen then we shall have trouble with the normans already they bear themselves as if they were our masters and they will not give up their hold without a struggle men say that william their duke makes no secret of his hope to become master of england in which case god help us all but that won't come as long as harold lives an englishman can wield a sword and battle-axe as for myself i have patched many a norman suit of armour but by st swithin i shall have far more pleasure in marring them than i have ever in mending them know you who were the boys who had that contention just now the norman is a page of william our norman bishop i know no more of him than that the other is wulf who is a ward and page of earl harold his father was a thane of staining in south sussex one of goodwin's men and at his death two years ago harold took the lad into his household for he bore a great affection for girth who had accompanied him in his pilgrimage to rome and fought by his side when he conquered the welsh it was there girth got the wound that at last brought about his death wulf has been to my smithy many times sometimes about matters of repairs to arms but more often i think to see my son osgod he had seen him once or twice in calling at the shop when one day osgod 
who is somewhat given to mischief, was playing at ball, and drove it into the face of a son of one of the Norman lords at court. The boy drew his dagger, and there would have been bloodshed, but Wolf, who was passing at the time, and saw that the thing was a pure mishap, and not the result of set intention, threw himself between them. There was a great fuss over it, for the boy took his tale to his father, who demanded that Osgod should be punished, and would have doubtless gained his end had not Wolf spoken to Earl Harold, who intervened in the matter, and persuaded the Norman to let it drop. Since then the boys have been great friends in their way. Osgod is a year older than the young Thane, and has already made up his mind to be his man when he grows up, and he has got me to agree to it, though I would rather that he had stuck to my handicraft. Still the prospect is not a bad one. Harold will be King of England, Wolf will be a powerful Thane, and will doubtless some day hold high place at court, and he seems to have taken a real liking to Osgod. The boy may have good chances. Wolf will make a good fighting man one of these days. Harold sees that all his pages are well instructed in arms, and the two boys often have a bout with blunted swords when Wolf comes to my smithy. And, by my faith, though I have taught Osgod myself, and he already uses arms well, the young Thane is fully a match for him. You would hardly believe that the boy can read as well as a monk, but it is so. Earl Harold, you know, thinks a good deal of education, and has founded a college at Waltham. He persuaded Walt's father to send him there, and indeed will take none as his pages unless they can read. I see not what good reading can do to most men, but doubtless for one who is at court and may hold some day a high post there, it is useful to be able to read deeds and grants of estates, instead of having to trust others' interpretation. I wondered to see you press forward so suddenly in the crowd, neighbour, seeing that you are a busy man, but I understand now that you had an interest in the affair. That had I. I was holding myself in readiness, if that Norman boy drew his dagger, to give him such a blow across the wrist with my cudgel that it would be long before he handled a weapon again. I fear Wolf has got himself into trouble. The bishop will doubtless complain to the king of the language used by one of Harold's pages, and though the earl is well able to see that no harm comes to the lad, it is likely he will send him away to his estates for a time, for he strives always to avoid quarrels and disputes, and though he will not give way a jot in matters where it seems to him that the good of the realm is concerned, he will go to much further lengths than most men would do in the way of conciliation. Look how he is born with Tostig and the earls of Mercia. He seems to have no animosity in his nature but is ready to forgive all injuries as soon as pardon is asked. The smith was not far wrong in his opinion as to what was likely to happen. As soon as Wolf returned to the palace he was told that the earl desired his presence, and he proceeded at once to the apartment where Harold transacted public business. It was a hall of considerable size. The floor was strewed with rushes, three scribes sat at a table, and to them the earl dictated his replies and decisions on the various matters brought before him. When he saw Wolf enter, he rose from his seat, and beckoning him to follow, pushed aside the hangings across a door leading to an apartment behind, and went in. Wolf had no fear whatever of any severe consequence to himself from his quarrel with Walter Fitzurse, but he was ashamed that his thoughtlessness should have given the slightest trouble to the earl 
but popular as he was among all classes of men in southern england harold was an object of love as well as respect to his dependents and indeed to all who came in close contact with him the earl was now forty-one years of age he was very tall and was considered the strongest man in england his face was singularly handsome with an expression of mingled gentleness and firmness his bearing was courteous to all he united a frank and straightforward manner with a polished address rare amongst his rough countrymen harold had travelled more and farther than any englishman of his age he had visited foreign courts and mingled with people more advanced in civilization than were those of england or normandy and was centuries ahead of the mass of his countrymen he was an ardent advocate of education a strong supporter of the national church an upholder of the rights of all men and although he occasionally gave way to bursts of passion was of a singularly sweet and forgiving disposition king edward was respected by his people because coming after two utterly worthless kings he had an earnest desire for their good although that desire seldom led to any very active results he was a member of their own royal house he was deeply religious his life was pure and simple and although his tastes and sympathies were with the land in which he had been brought up englishmen forgave him this because at least he was a saxon while his predecessors had been danes what but while they respected edward for harold their real ruler they felt a passionate admiration he was a worthy representative of all that was best in the saxon character he possessed in an eminent degree the openness of nature the frank liberality the indomitable bravery and the endurance of hardship that distinguished the race he was earl of the west saxons and as such had special claims to their fealty london it was true did not lie in his earldom but in that of his brother leofwin but leofwin and harold were as one true brothers in heart and in disposition the gentleness and courtesy of manner that although natural had been softened and increased by harold's contact with foreigners was not only pardoned but admired because he was england's champion against foreigners he had fought and victoriously alike against the norwegians the danes of northumbria and the welsh and he struggled as sturdily though peacefully against norman influence in england already the dread of norman preponderance was present in the minds of englishmen it was no secret that in his early days edward had held out hopes if he had not given an actual promise to william of normandy that he should succeed him of late the king had been somewhat weaned from his norman predilections and had placed himself unreservedly in harold's hands giving to the latter all real power while he confined himself to the discharge of religious exercises and to the supervision of the building of his abbey varied occasionally by hunting expeditions for he still retained a passionate love of the chase but men knew that the warlike duke of normandy would not be likely to forget the promise and that trouble might come to england from over the sea harold then they not only regarded as their present ruler but as their future king and as the national leader and champion edward had no children the royal house was extinct save for edward at the atheling who like the present king had lived all his life abroad and could have no sympathy with englishmen there being then no one of the royal house available but who harold the head of the great house of godwin 
the earl of the west saxons the virtual ruler of england could be chosen the english kings although generally selected from the royal house ruled rather by the election of the people as declared by their representatives in the witten than by their hereditary right the prince next in succession by blood might at the death of the sovereign be called king but he was not really a monarch until elected by the witten and formally consecrated it had been nine months after he had been acclaimed to the throne by the people of london that king edward had been elected king by the witten and formally enthroned thus then the fact that harold did not belong to the royal family mattered not but little in the eyes of englishmen to them belonged the right of choosing their own monarch and if they chose him who was to say them nay wulf felt uncomfortable as he followed the stately figure into the inner room but he faced the earl as a door closed behind him with a fearlesser look as that with which he had stood before the haughty prelate of london a slight smile played upon harold's face as he looked down upon the boy you are a troublesome varlet wolf and the lord bishop has been making serious complaint of you to the king he says you brawled with his page walter fitz Erse, that you used insolent words against his countrymen and that you even withstood himself what have you to say to this the brawling was on the part of the bishop's page and not of mine my lord i was running out to carry the message with which you had charged me to ernolf of dover when i ran against fitz Erse. that was not my fault but a pure mischance nevertheless i expressed my regret in fitting terms instead of accepting them he spoke insolently talked of chastising me and put his hand on the hilt of his dagger then my lord i grew angry too why should i the page of earl harold submit to be thus contemptuously spoken to by this young norman who is but the page of an upstart bishop and whom if your lordship will give permission i would right willingly fight with swords or any other weapons doubtless in my anger i do not speak respectfully of walter's countrymen and for this i am sorry since it has been the ground of complaint and of trouble to you in fact wulf you spoke as a quarrelsome boy and not as the page of one who has the cares of this kingdom on his shoulders and whose great desire is to keep peace between all parties the earl put in gravely for the first time wulf hung his head i was wrong my lord you were wrong wulf it is not good always to say what we think and you as my page should bear in mind that here at court it behoves you to behave and to speak not as a headstrong boy but as one whose words may rightly or wrongly be considered as an echo of those you may have heard from me and now to the third charge that you withstood the prelate a matter that in the king's eyes is a very serious one the bishop would give ear to naught i had to say he listened to his own page's account and not mine and when i said in my defence that though i did not use the words about normans i did so merely as one boy quarrelling with the other he said i ought to have my ears slit surely my lord a free-born thane is not to be spoken to even by a norman bishop as if he were a norman serf i only replied that before there was any slitting of ears your lordship would have a say in the matter so far i admit i did withstand the bishop and i see not how i could have made other reply it would have been better to have held your peace altogether wolf it would my lord but it would also surely have been better had the bishop abstained from talking about slitting ears 
that would have been better also but two wrongs do not make a right i was present when the bishop made his complaint and upon my inquiring more into the matter his version was somewhat similar to yours i then pointed out to him that if holy bishops lost their tempers and used threats that were beyond their power to carry into effect they must not be too severe upon boys who forget the respect due to their office nevertheless i admitted that you were wrong and i promised the king who was perhaps more disturbed by this incident than there was any occasion for that i would take you to task seriously and that to avoid any further brawl between you and young fitzurse you should for a time be sent away from court i did this on the agreement that the bishop should on his part admonish walter fitzurse against discourteous behaviour and unseemly brawling and had i known that he had put his hand on his dagger i would have gone further have you any witnesses that he did so yes my lord i saw the smith ulred among those standing by and doubtless he would see the action that is well harold said i shall acquaint the bishop of the fact when i tell him that i have ordered you to leave for your estate at staining and that if his page denies it i have witnesses to prove the truth of your assertions i think in that case he will be glad to drop the matter for were i to mention the fact to the king he who has the horror of drawing of weapons would order walter fitzurse to be sent back to normandy so your exile is not likely to be of long duration you understand wolf that i am not seriously angered with you in this matter you are but a boy and one cannot expect that you will behave as a prudent man but remember lad even a boy's words may do mischief especially when placed as you are there may come a time when you shall show by deeds and not by words your feelings against the normans but till then bear yourself prudently we saxons are overgiven to hasty words and this is a fault i myself as all men know have no love for the normans but no one has heard me speak against them the king loves them as is natural seeing that he was brought up amongst them and i have not withstood his wishes in the matter trying only that a certain amount of preferment in the land should be bestowed upon those who are its owners and not strangers to it and its tongue you will ride this afternoon to staining wolf but i hope it will not be long before you are back again if i had my own way in the matter i should think that sufficient had already been said and done in so trifling a matter as a boy's quarrel but as it has been brought before our king by a bishop it is in the king's eyes a serious business for assuredly he himself would have borne a reproof from william of london more meekly than you did and having therefore become a church matter it is altogether beyond my power to interfere at any rate a short sojourn on your estate will do you no harm it is some time since you were there and it's a good thing that the lord of the soil should be well known by those over whom he is placed wulf bowed deeply and withdrew the prospect of a visit for a few weeks or even months to staining was not a terrible one it was some years since he had stayed there for any time he had been two years at waltham and since his father's death had been for the most part with harold and the thought of an unrestricted life and of spending his time as he chose hunting and hawking and going about among his tenants was by no means unpleasant he was quite satisfied that harold was not seriously angered with him and for anything else he cared little as he understood that his duties as a page were at present at an end 
he thought he would first call upon Ulred the smith to ask him if he had seen Walter Fitz Erse handle his dagger, and also to tell Osgod that he was going away for a time. He found the smith at work. Good morning, Master Wolf, though this is not the first time I have seen you today, for I was at hand when you had that quarrel with the Norman page. Yes, I caught sight of your face, Ulred. It was about that that I have come to you. The bishop has made a complaint against me to the king and Earl Harold has ordered me to go down to Staining for a time. Of course I acted wrongly in speaking as I did to the bishop, but so far as Walter Fitz Erse is concerned, I maintain that I did no wrong. I told my lord as much, and that the Norman put a hand upon his dagger. The Earl said that if I could prove that, it would benefit my case. I told him that I had seen you close by, but that I did not know whether you saw the page do it. Assuredly I did, the smith replied, and I had my cudgel in readiness to tap him on the wrist if he had drawn his dagger. I would testify the same before King Edward himself. Thank you, Ulred, I will tell my lord so. I am sorry you are to be sent away from court. That is a bad job, Master Wolf, and Osgod here will miss you greatly. That I shall, the lad said. Could you not take me down with you, young master? You could teach me there how to comport myself as your squire, so that when the time comes that you need one, I should know my duties. Besides, you could practice on me with the sword and battle-axe. I could not do much in the way of teaching you, Osgod, seeing as yet I am myself but a learner. But I should be glad in truth to have you with me, and it would be good for me to keep up my practice in arms. I shall feel almost like a stranger there, and should like to have one I know with me. I could ask Earl Harold to let me have a horse for you from his stables, where he has two or three score doing nothing. With your favour, sir, I would rather trust to my own feet. I am a stout walker, and though I shall not be able to keep up with you, I think that each night I can get to the hostelry where you may put up. But if not, it matters little. I can make my way after you and join you there. That is, if my father will give me permission to go. You may as well go sooner as later, the smith said, since you have taken into your head that you will be Master Wolf's man. I see not that it will benefit you remaining in the forge. You know enough now to mend a broken rivet, and to do such repairs to helm and armour as may be needed on an expedition. Therefore, if the young thane is minded to take you, I have naught to say against it. Then so shall it be, Wolf said. I shall see my Lord Harold before I start and will tell him that you are minded to be my man, and that I am minded to take you. He will not object, I am sure, but it were best to ask him, since when I return to court I shall have you about me. When do you start, Master Wolf? I am ordered to go to-day, therefore as soon as I have seen the Earl again I shall be off. Where will you sleep to-night? I shall ride to Guildford this afternoon. Then you had better lay aside your hammer at once, Osgod, the smith said and don fresh clothes, and make your best suit into a bundle, and start without delay. It is but ten o'clock, and you may be at Guildford before sunset. Tis but thirty miles, and eight hours walking will take you there. If the young thane tells you that Lord Harold makes objection to his taking you, you can turn your face backward to-morrow, and no harm will be done. I shall overtake you before you are half-way, Osgod, and can then take you up behind me on my horse and now I will go back to the palace. I may have to wait some time before I can see Earl Harold. From sunrise to sunset he has but a few moments to himself, 
and I shall have to watch my time to get a word with him. It was not indeed until two o'clock in the afternoon that Wulf had a chance of speaking to the Duke. Then, seeing that he was for the moment alone, he entered the room and stood with bowed head, waiting for Harold to address him. "'So you have come to say good-bye, Wulf,' the latter said kindly. "'It is best so, boy. A time in the country will do you good, and there will be much for you to do down there. I have ordered two of my men to be in readiness to mount and ride with you, for I would not that you go unattended. One of them will bear a message from me and a letter under my hand to the steward, and will tell him that although you will of course remain as my ward until you come of age, you are in all respects to be treated as if you were already my sworn man and thane. It would be well if you could gather among your tenants twenty stout men as housecarls. The steward is ordered to pay you whatever monies you may require, and to account for them to me when he sends me in his checkers. These housecarls will of course be paid. There must be ample store of armour at staining for them, for your father was followed by forty housecarls when he went with me to the Welsh wars. One of the men who goes with you is a stout man at arms, and is one of my own housecarls. He will remain with you, and will instruct your men in arms and teach them to fight shoulder to shoulder. There may be bad times ere long, and it is upon trained troops and not upon hasty levies that we must most depend. In time I trust you will be able to place fifty such men in the field, but at present twenty will suffice. Have you aught to say to me before you go? Yes, my lord, first to thank you for your kindness, and to say that I will carry out your instructions. Secondly, to tell you that Aldred the smith saw Walter Fitz Erse handle his dagger, and was standing ready to knock it from his hand did he draw it. Lastly, that Ulred's son Osgood, who is a stout lad a year older than myself, and for his age well accustomed to arms, desires to be sworn as my man and to serve me in hall and field. I like him much, and have almost daily practised with him in arms, and I should be glad to have him with me if you see no objection. Not at all, Wolf. It is well that a man should have at his side one in whom he can altogether trust, be he of gentle blood or a simple man at arms. Then I may take him down with me, my lord? Yes, if it pleases you. Can he ride? Not as yet, my lord. I will see that he is instructed down at Staining. He started to walk this morning, understanding that if you refused him permission to be my man, he would return at once. We shall overtake him on the road. Bid one of your escort take him up behind, the earl said. I like his spirit. See that he is fittingly apparelled. You shall hear from me ere long. Half an hour later, Wolf mounted, and with his two followers, rode from Westminster. End of chapter 1